0: Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book, The 48 Laws of Power. Many people see power as a subject that refers to political tactics, which has nothing to do with them as long as we are honest with others and stay away from political games, then surely we can avoid power struggles. But in fact, this is just a naive and fanciful way of thinking. Niccolo Machiavelli, the Italian political thinker and author of The Prince, once said, any man who tries to be good all the time is bound to come to ruin among the great number who are not good. In human society the game of power is always being played, from grand political schemes to various struggles in our personal lives. Everybody lives in a game of power, playing either an active role or a passive role, and none of us can avoid it. Some people believe that playing power games is insidious and immoral, and yet power has nothing to do with morality. Power is a concept that goes beyond ethics It is the skill and ability to perceive changes in the situation and to make decisions based on objective reality and desired results rather than on the moral intentions of the opponent. Human nature is complex. People have a civilized and noble side, but they have a cunning and dark side, too. In order to reach their goals, people often use all kinds of ways to camouflage and conceal. How should we protect ourselves from being confused or used by others? How can we clearly see the real motivations behind their actions through so many layers of fog? How can we make correct decisions? This book shows us how we can have our own strength in the struggle for power. The authors of this book are American author Robert Greene and publisher Juiced Elfers. Robert is a freelance writer as well as an editor and script writer. To write The 48 Laws of Power, he quit his job and plunged into a sea of literature, reading over 200 books and collecting a huge amount of historical material spanning more than 3,000 years. He analyzed a great number of historical cases of failures and successes, and from this, he concluded The 48 Laws of Power and set forth his idea of the principles and rules of power. The power described in this book doesn't just refer to political tactics but to more general concepts too, and can be understood as a kind of control and manipulation. Of course, here we also need to remind you that the values and morality of obtaining power is the ultimate goal described in the book are a little skewed, so we should look at them with a critical eye. However, the laws of power unlocked in this book contain insights which are profound and thought-provoking. Due to restrictions on time and length, we can only choose a few of the 48 laws summarized in this book. We have divided them into three sections which we will describe in more detail. Part 1 – Handling your relationships carefully to maximize your power. Part 2 – How powerful people stay powerful. Part 3 – Choosing an appropriate strategy according to the specific situation. First, let's take a look at the first topic under how to handle our relationships, which is how we should treat our friends. When we choose our allies, we tend to choose friends whom we trust. This is just human nature. But we must also understand one crucial principle, namely we should not let our friends control our destiny. If we put unlimited power into the hands of our friends just for the sake of trust, then we are putting our destiny into their hands, too. When our friends turn against us, they can be even more terrifying than our enemies, rendering us completely defenseless. The Byzantine Emperor Michael III was put on the throne through the support of his uncle, Bardas. After becoming emperor, Michael ignored the requests from numerous courtiers recommending that Bardas assume control of the court and instead chose his trusted friend Basilius to take on this important task. Basilius had started out as a horse trainer. One day, when Michael was inspecting the stables, he was nearly knocked to the ground by a runaway horse, when Basilius rushed to his rescue. Michael was enormously grateful for his help and became fast friends with Basilius. Basilius was from the Macedonian countryside, and Michael sent him to the best school in the Byzantine Empire, transforming him from a rural peasant into a cultivated and sophisticated courtier. After Basilius became the head of the imperial court, he became Michael's right-hand man, giving him advice and counsel. But little by little, Basilius became addicted to the luxurious life he led, and all his money and power could not satisfy his desires, which only grew day by day. To placate Basilius, Michel made him a noble and increased his salary again and again, even letting him marry his own beloved mistress. Not only that, but Basilius also plotted Bardus's assassination, labeling him an ambitious schemer who had helped Michael ascend the throne and might end up staging a coup to seize power from him. In the end Michael agreed to let Basilius kill Bardus, and let him replace Bardus as the chief commander of the armed forces and so Basilius's power grew stronger and stronger. Later, Michael fell into financial hardship, and asked Basilius to return some of his money. It was at that moment that Basilius showed his true colors. Not only did Basilius refuse to return the money, he was also insolent and rude to Michael. Now Michael realized that through giving in to Basilius's indulgences and endless demands, he had created a monster but it was already too late. Basilius was now much wealthier and more powerful than Michael, and had numerous allies in the army and senate. Even if Michael had wanted to take his power back, he couldn't. Finally, Basilius chopped off Michael's head and seized the throne. He hung Michael's head off the end of his spear and brandished it smugly through the Byzantine streets. Michael had believed that Basilius owed everything to him, and so Basilius should be grateful, and was his most reliable friend. And yet, in constantly giving power to Basilius, he was betting his life on Basilius's conscience and on the friendship between them. By the time Basilius betrayed him, there was nothing he could do, he was at Basilius's mercy. So, giving a friend the power to control your destiny is a deadly mistake. The French philosopher Voltaire once said, Lord, protect me from my friends, I can take care of my enemies. When your vision is clouded by friendship, you are unable to clearly see the stakes, and when you blindly choose your allies based on friendship, you fall into a trap. It is understandable to trust your friends, but when you give them too much power based on the trust between you, you will tip the balance and lose the ability to control your destiny. After getting to know how to treat your friends, Let us now take a look at the second point, how to treat your enemies. Lincoln once declared, you destroy an enemy when you make a friend of him. Therefore, we can handle our enemies by converting them into friends. Enemies are a gold mine, and we must learn how to take full advantage of their value. In the sphere of power, you must not use relationships as a basis for decision-making, but instead base your decisions on someone's competence and the benefits they can bring. When your enemies have the capabilities you need, you must join forces and seek to maximize the benefits together. When we ally ourselves with our enemies, we may gain unexpected loyalty and strength. Showing goodwill to enemies who expect nothing from us will inspire immense gratitude for the tiniest favor, and will inspire more effort on their part to prove their loyalty and value. In 1807, the French Foreign Minister Talleyrand believed that Napoleon's policies for constant expansion would lead to the collapse of the French Empire, and so he started to conspire against him. Rebelling against the Emperor was extremely dangerous, and Talleyrand needed an ally, so he turned to his most powerful enemy, Joseph Fouché, the head of the French secret police. Fouché and Talleyrand had always had a hostile relationship even to the point that Fouché had tried to have Talleyrand assassinated. But Talleyrand knew that to accomplish his goal, he should choose a partner based on mutual self-interest rather than on personal feelings. Talleyrand had met his match in Fouché, and when it came to overthrowing Napoleon, Fouché's outstanding politics would undoubtedly be a great asset. Finally, Talleyrand and Fouché put their differences aside and joined forces their partnership created a huge impact, and from then on opposition towards Napoleon grew increasingly stronger. So, when it comes to enemies, should we make all of them our friends? Of course not, sometimes we need to leave a few enemies, because enemies can help us build character and grow stronger. As the ancient Chinese saying goes, thrive in calamity, perish in soft living. Where enemies do not exist, we lose our vigilance and become lazy and idle. But when we have clear and specific enemies, we have to stay alert and give them our full attention. Our willpower and wit are tested through frontline battle with our enemies, from which we become more powerful by gaining precious experience and growth. So, in some ways, our enemies are our teachers. To summarize, when it comes to handling our enemies, on the one hand we can make them our friends, And use their power for ourselves, on the other hand, we still need to keep a few enemies, refine ourselves through our struggles with them. In doing so, we can take full advantage of the value of enemies. Having understanding how to deal with friends and enemies, we have now reached the third point how should we handle ourselves? Humans are social animals. If we want to gain power, we need to rely on communication and exchange. Therefore, we must have plenty of contact with others, place ourselves in the crowd, and maintain the flow of information. In the 1760s, the French King Louis XIV ordered the construction of the Palace of Versailles to be his royal residence. The palace is magnificent to behold, and is one of the five greatest palaces in the world. But Louis XIV's order to build this palace was not to enjoy an extravagant life, rather it was to concentrate his power. How could building the Palace of Versailles help him achieve this? To fully understand, we'll first explore the structure of the Palace of Versailles. The palace is designed like a honeycomb, with every room connected to each other, and Louis XIV Chambers are situated at the centre of the palace, surrounded by apartments for other members of the aristocracy. Every day Louis XIV took his morning ceremony in his own chamber, in which crowds of people would come to pay homage to him. In Versailles, nothing said was private, and all activity revolved around the king. Everything the aristocracy said and did took place in plain sight, and Louis XIV knew everything that happened around him like the back of his hand. Through this method of organization, Louis XIV concentrated all of his power into his own hands. This example shows us that through maintaining the flow of information, we can adopt appropriate measures to respond to all kinds of situations, and gain power in the process. We've reached the end of part 1. First, we mentioned that you should not let your friends control your destiny. Next, we discussed taking full advantage of the value enemies bring. By making enemies your friends, you can exploit their power, by directly confronting our enemies, we can build our own character. Finally, we talked about how we should place ourselves in the crowd, and maintain the flow of information. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller please download our app.